Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Ryan Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we It's a race week as the NHRA heads to Thunder Valley for the NHRA Thunder Valley Nationals at Crystal Dragway. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. Tony Pedregon and I break down the storylines of the upcoming race and talk about the state of NHRA. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedregon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, it's Brian Loans back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider. I am fired up as you should be as the NHRA enters a great stretch of races here. Some back-to-back action kicking off in Bristol, Tennessee, and then moving up to Norwalk, Ohio. We will certainly get to the Norwalk race when we get there, but we're not going to skip over this Bristol event, which promises to um, really have all the pieces in place to be a pivotal moment for some teams, and that could be a good way or a bad way as we officially begin the back half of the NHRA's regular season, leading us toward the NHRA U.S. Nationals, which closes out that regular season, and we head into the playoffs, of course. Um, This weekend has a million storylines, and and I have Tony Pedragon on as my guest this week, as we typically do on a race week show. And the reason we're going to do that is to review those storylines, kind of talk about you know some of the things that go beyond the obvious. Um, Obviously, we know teams are struggling. We know teams that are succeeding, but uh, we're going to take this to a slightly different level today and kind of analyze some things that um, that maybe go beyond the naked eye. And one of the things um, that is kind of pre- pre- present <laughs> to the naked eye um, is certainly the way cars react as they go down Bristol Dragway. And you probably get sick of hearing it. Uh, we talk about it a lot because it is a, a, a part of the characteristic of this facility. But the track itself has obviously been challenging. It has some undulations. It has some bumps. It has some tunnels underneath it. Well, we have brought it up um, in 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 kind of quick tones, but to go into a little bit more depth, the NHRA and more specifically uh, Bristol Dragway brought in uh, a crew to work on this racetrack, and they did a couple of significant things. The first significant thing they did was that they were able to get underneath some of the concrete pads and actually elevate them to bring the track into more even status. When you pour a concrete racetrack, by and large, the way it is done is in these large pads, and those pads have what they call expansion joints between them. And, of course, uh, because they are free-floating, they can move up and down. Now, they don't move up and down by feet, but they can move up and down by fractions of inches or, um, you know, kind of uh, in small increments, they settle into the ground. Well... A team was brought in to get underneath those concrete pads and kind of bring them back up to level. Uh, That was a significant piece of work that was done. Secondarily, another crew was brought in to do what's called a profile grinding. And a profile grinding is different than a full track, you know, grind in the sense that a profile grind is simply meant to help the profile of the racetrack. It's not going to cure any sort of massive undulations, but it will take out some of those peaks or some of those uneven spots. Um, and and these two things combined with each other uh, are really going to be make a big difference in what we see this weekend at Bristol Dragway. It has never been a bad racetrack. Let's get that right out of the way. We are not saying, I am certainly not saying Bristol Dragway is a bad track. It is not. In fact, to me, it is it is and continues to be one of the most interesting tracks to watch our crew chiefs, watch our drivers do what they do best, which is to negotiate the course and get to the finish line first. Now, there are upsides to everything in life. There may be some downsides to everything in life, too. The upsides being that now this course that uh, will have either greatly reduced or in some cases removed bumps in areas where crew chiefs are used to having them uh, will allow those crew chiefs to manipulate the clutch and power differently as they go down the racetrack. Secondly, when you grind a racetrack, you're obviously grinding through the rubber layer to get down to the concrete you know, surface that the, the track is physically made of. Normally, this is done a long time before a major event because you want time to kind of build that rubber layer up. Now, the NHRA has great capabilities in its rotator tractors. The crew that did the work, uh, TVC, uh, Total Venue Concepts, has great capability with their rotator tractors. The, The course, the track itself has all the finest equipment. So what may be interesting and what will certainly be interesting as we get through qualifying is how the teams, one, observe this racetrack now, what their initial impressions of the surface are, and then, two, how they set about attacking it. 
I don't think it is fair to assume we will see any track records this weekend only because um, it's going to be warm. Uh, 80s, uh, low, low 80s Saturday, mid to high 80s on Sunday. And those conditions are, are markedly different than what we saw in the fall. We went back there in the fall as part of the countdown last year. The air was different than anybody had ever seen. Uh, track records were, were obliterated. A lot of engines are obliterated, too. If you remember correctly, um, the first round of eliminations on Sunday saw some incredibly carnage-filled runs. And even in qualifying, we saw a lot of carnage-filled runs. Reason for that is, um, in many ways, obviously, racers pushing their equipment to go the best they can. But secondarily, the air conditions presented them um, themselves completely different for what they had ever seen before. So I think what the real interesting storyline is here, when you're watching this weekend and qualifying, consider the following. One, air conditions, atmospheric conditions will be back in the wheelhouse of what we would expect and what we have typically seen at this race over the years. Father's Day weekend was the traditional date for so many years. Obviously, we didn't go in 2020. 2021, we go back in the fall. We go back to what we were expecting as far as a soupiness, a heat, um, the challenge of warm racetracks there. But when you take those same conditions and apply them to a different surface, an improved surface, um, that's going to take some doing. It's going to take some figuring. And whether we're talking about pro stockers or we're talking about funny cars or we're talking about pro stock motorcycles, everybody is going to have to figure this out. And so that progression of performance or lack of progression of performance for some teams through qualifying will be absolutely a, let's call it, defining moment for so many people uh, over the course of this weekend. Expecting great crowds, of course, and expecting a great time to be had by everybody, especially those few winners who are able to hoist trophies. This is a racetrack that Mike Salinas has dominated at over the course of the last four years, made a final in 18, won in 19, didn't race there 20, and then he won in 2021. Alexis DeJoria won last year. Angel won last year. The Pro Stocks, they weren't there last year. And we're going to talk about all that when I get Tony Pedregon on the show and uh, this also for us in our season marks the beginning of a fantastic stretch of races that are being broadcast on the Fox Broadcast Network. So on, we love FS1. We love being on FS1, but we love being on the big Fox Network the best. Uh, it places us in front of a massive audience, in front of a massive crowd, and it really will be a great showcase of our sport, a beautiful drag strip, a beautiful backdrop to show this race, and certainly a great way for us to kick off what is officially our network year. And for those of you playing at home, if you bust out your pen, um, of the next nine races, eight of them are on the network. So Bristol and Norwalk, back-to-back weeks, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, both of those races for final round eliminations. Take a brief break. The entire Western Swing, Denver, Sonoma, Seattle, on the network. Topeka is an FS1 race. Brainerd and the U.S. Nationals, of course, are both on the network for eliminations. And one more race, our NHL, or rather our NFL-adjacent uh, race, will be broadcast on the network. Now, the NHRA has not released what that race is yet. Um, last year, it was Charlotte. Uh, we do know internally what race it is. And if I say it, I will get in massive amounts of trouble. So just keep your eyes and ears peeled as that announcement will be coming soon. Further announcements for those of you that are fans and are eagerly awaiting the NHRA video game. Um, it, it is coming. And what you're going to see here in the next couple of weeks is our trailer will be released. You're going to see a great trailer for this video game. You're going to be able to start making pre-orders. The game itself will be available for purchase at Indie. Actually, I should say a little bit before Indie. Um, you're going to hear about it. But basically, right around the U.S. Nationals, you're going to be able to start buying this game. There's going to be great game activation at the U.S. Nationals. I am eternally excited for what I have seen to this point in the process. It has been something that has been uh, informative. It has been at times arduous. It has been slow moving. It has been fast moving. It has been about editing. It has been about changing. It has been something that um, a lot of us inside the NHRA have been very devoted to over the course of time. And I really do truly believe that those of you that love gaming will absolutely love the experience you'll get from the NHRA video game. All right. With all that being said, I feel like now would be a great time to transition uh, into our conversation about this weekend's NHRA Thunder Valley Nationals. It's a race that um, that I've been looking forward to all season long. Just so great to be back at the same time. And with that, uh, with that being said, uh, let's uh, let's get a guest going on here. All right. So the first guest and the only guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider this week as we get ready for the Thunder Valley Nationals, Mr. Tony Pedregon. How you doing, sir? 
Uh, Brian, I'm standalone. I had no no pressure. <laughs> well, see, McKenna bailed on us. McKenna went to France to go to the 24 Hours of Le Mans. He's still over there sucking down red wine somewhere. So I couldn't I couldn't make the international call. It's not in the budget. <laughs> yeah, I I can't make it to Mexico, let alone France. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, um, you know we're kind of coming into a, an interesting stretch here of the season. These two back to back races, which are are really different events. Bristol and Norwalk, uh, very. You know, very different. Bristol's, uh, you know, a small racetrack, obviously an incredible facility. Norwalk, we have basically every category on the books. But um, let's talk a little bit about Bristol before we go into the categories here, because um, as we mentioned on this show, some people have talked about, but I don't know if everybody knows this. The, the track at Bristol was ground like last week and it wasn't a full, you know, grinded totally flat, but it was a, an effort to do some work to get rid of some of these bumps. They did some work with the concrete pads. They went in there and actually kind of evened them out a little bit. So um, this is a very different racetrack than what people have seen, not only last year in the fall, but also in our typical Father's Day weekend that we've raced on for years. Yeah, Brian, and, and you're exactly right. So, you know, Besides the you know the, the fact that the track is carved out between two mountains, I know I've over the years uh, a lot of fans have told me and I've heard the same thing that's on their bucket list. But if they've been there, they understand it. And I remember the first time I went there, I didn't realize the effect that it had, and it's really like this this amazing audio um, that that you get from you know from the racetrack because everything echoes. But you know one of the most notorious things that that track is known for are the bumps and. You, you've, we've heard, you know, over the races and over the, the years, a lot of these tuners, you know, talk about and complain and use the bumps as a scapegoat. And yeah. you and I both know it's not really the bumps. Yes, there are bumps there, but, you know, they didn't manage their clutch right. They didn't slow it down in the right places, but they continue to blame it on the racetrack. So I don't think that's ever going to go away as long as tuners have egos. So we've learned to live with that. Now, now Bristol, because of the tunnels underneath the track, had had some pretty um pretty pronounced bumps that and that's one of the things that we've always highlighted on this show is you show it in slow motion you show it regular speed and you can see it but when we slow it down you can really see how it disrupts how the chassis flex but you know there's two sides of that the, the track i mean there's tunnels that the the, the, the burton smith this is his facility they have to give the fans access oh absolutely Right. Okay. So they have to have tunnels under the track to allow them from one side of the track to the other. I mean, we're in the business of entertainment. Racers have a tendency to kind of live in their bubble and think it's just about racing. And it is. They run a racing business. But the reason that this sport exists is it's a form of entertainment. It just so happens to be racing. That's that's my perspective. And I, I just, you know, over the years, racers, you know, there's a give and take. I, I know that the tuners I've been involved with this over, you know, over the last 20 something odd years. And the argument's always going to be, well, there's big bumps there. Yes, there are. Well, there's some weird, there's some stuff going on underneath the racetrack because of the tunnels and everything else that's that parts of it have settled. And, you know, some of the work they did is to try to, to try to remove some of that settling over the last, you know, whatever, two weeks, three weeks they've been on it. Um, so yeah, your points are all valid. And I, I guess the bottom line point of all of it is that everybody has to deal with the same racetrack. Yeah, well, and the other thing I was going to bring up, or you know, we've seen some cars uh, break in half. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just cut through the chase. We see these cars; it places a lot of stress, a lot of load on the chassis, mostly top fuel cars because the the length, the the twenty five foot wheelbase. But you know, over the years, you know, these tuners, these crew chiefs, they've also uh, you know done things to the tubing to allow these cars to flex they've they've taken out uprights they've they've shortened up the footbox they've done all of these things with the intentions of allowing this car to run quicker and faster so you know i'm always going to push back i mean every every tuner is going to say look you know safety first we want to protect our driver well I, I don't know about that because you know in the process of in this evolution of of you know moving the footbox back and you know, not slipping the tube in all the way. All of these things are done for performance, and they're not done by the driver. The driver just gets in the car. So I think you see where I'm going. There's a give and take, um, and and the fact is, is that yeah, there are bumps. I think they're going to be better. They should be. There should be an improvement, and you know maybe we'll hear less. Uh, you know, from the tuners because you know it's still just one of those challenging tracks. You know, it's it's a thousand foot racetrack. Um, 
you're not going to be able to accelerate the car in certain places and maybe it'll be better but you know they're going to have to contend with the elevation it's 14 close to 1500 feet so they're going to have to tune the engines up a little bit because they lose some of the air and uh they're going to have to deal with a little bit of temperature maybe not friday evening but you know definitely saturday and sunday and look we saw last year we saw we saw del worsham have uh you know that the left lane which is the one that everybody's typically kind of afraid of we saw del worsham and nikki bonifani team up with alexis last year and they they owned that race from the left lane i mean it was it was it was a kind of an interesting study in, in their approach. And, you know, the thing was down in the bottom 390s. And, again, we're not going to see those ETs, I don't think, this year because of the heat. When we were there in the fall, it was very cool. But it is not a, it is not an unsolvable problem. And and it's a problem that should be easier to solve than it was last year. No, I agree. I mean, the, the temperature, for the most part, dictates how the cars perform. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the track surface and the prep, you know, there's a lot of other things that play into it. But, um you know, Bristol, it's it's just one of those races that's very unique. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's our first big network show yes. of the year. And um, I, I think it's, you know, looks like we're going to have close to full field. So it should be a good one. It is. And, and we're going to have Pro Stock Motorcycles back there again. The first time they ever raced at Bristol was last year when we had the race as part of the countdown, which made it a seven race countdown instead of the typical six. Uh, so we'll see them back again this year. And, you know, I want to go back to that final round in Virginia because, you know, in reality, Steve Johnson, in my opinion, still comes into this race as a bit of a favorite. Um, it was Matt Smith's uh, racing IQ and guile that got him that win in Virginia because, you know, it effectively put Steve Johnson asleep on the starting line went into his uh, his dad's bag of tricks double bulb steve and steve had no answer for him you know it's such a classic move brian and you know and what it does for a driver for a rider it just takes them out of their rhythm and you know that's why matt did it that's the whole idea behind deep staging not deep staging do it doing it once in a while i mean it's such a it's such a chess match and you know of course some drivers go up there and you know, they want to be gentlemen. They, they want to, you know, they want to hug like the Teletubbies at the end of the track. And, hey, I'm, I'm all for the John Force, Cruz, Matt Smith. You know, I'm, I'm, for, I'm from a different school. And, you know, for anybody that says, any of the drivers that pride themselves on, oh, we don't deep stage. Well, A, you're told not to. And B, um, you know, there is, there is a, uh, a technique. Uh, you know, all these things, uh, brake pressure, all these things that aren't really easy to do, you have to perfect. So, I just thought it was such a classic move, and it worked for Matt Smith. But you cannot deny the performance of Steve Johnson, and I'm I'm glad the bikes are back. I mean, it's such a, a yeah. compelling, it's such an interesting rivalry. And then you have to look at you know some of the, I mean Karen Stouffer, and and really one of the I think in my opinion one of the best bikes aside from Steve Johnson has to be the Vance and Hines bike with Angel driving or riding. And um, you know she's just she's gotten beat up on the starting line. And you can't deny the performance. You got to wonder if at some point she's going to be able to get it together. Yeah, we had a media availability with uh, four or five racers last week, and Angel was one of them. She's a defending race winner. She won last year, and and she was as she typically tends to be. She was very honest in the fact that you know I, I mentioned the fact that the bike and, and she is seventh in points. Uh, Eddie Krawick is sitting third, and. She owned all of it. She said, listen, uh, anything that's gone sideways or bad this year has been on me. And she was kind of calling back to her Bristol experience last year where she was terrified to make runs to the point where, you know, Andrew Hines, she was racing him in the first round and she asked him if, if he wanted to buy because she didn't know she'd be able to get the bike down the racetrack. And, and she talked about how at Bristol last year, her focus and concentration became simply getting the bike down the racetrack, and she just gave up on thinking about, you know, and, and, and really being, I guess, distracted or nervous about who she was actually competing against. And my, I'm interested in your perspective as a driver in that if you're in this type of a funk that she seems to be in or one that has made all these self-induced mistakes, at what point and how do you kind of look yourself in the mirror and decide not to do that again, or is that even possible? Is this something that just has to happen on its own? Well, it's always possible because because I mean she's won championships before and and you know so I I don't see her just as a you know just as a regular rider that's trying to achieve something she's already done it so uh, she knows how to get there she just needs to find it and however you know whether it's with her, her personal life or whether you know she's spending time you know on on a practice tree that just you know for everyone it, it's it's just a matter of 
of hitting some licks, you know, mostly getting back on the track and, and, uh, and executing. And I think once she's able to do that, she'll just get back into that rhythm, you know, and it almost happens to every driver, every rider. I've seen it over the years. Um, but you know, some worse than others, of course, but you know, it's just, it's such a hard pace to maintain, to keep up. You know, you, you look at, look at professional athletes, and, and quarterbacks and you know I was I've been watching the NBA playoffs I really follow the NBA and you know it's like I, I'll put 50 bucks on a game or 25 bucks on a game and how on earth can a professional team shoot three first 18 from the three-point line <laughs> so, it's, yeah. it's so, so you understand it's not it's not anything physical it's is the mental aspect to it and it happens to athletes it happens to professional race car drivers um, you know, the thing, it, it really it really sticks out, though, in our sport because you get one shot. You're on the stage, and then, you know, you either punt it off or you go to the next round. So it's really the drivers, the riders are really exposed in our sport, and that's, you know, that's something that, that they, you know, they I always had to deal with. They're going to have to continue to deal with. But um, I, I think that Angel, it, it's just a matter of time before she finds it because at Vanson Hines and that group there, Matt Hines, uh, they've they've really they've really given her a good machine. You know, one the second uh, and final uh, kind of storyline I want to bring up in pro stock motorcycles an interesting one in that uh, Kelly Klontz will be unable to ride her motorcycle this week, but the motorcycle will be at Bristol and Ellie Tonglet will be riding it. And I say this I say this with all the respect in the world for Kelly Klontz, but I'm very interested to see how Ellie performs on this motorcycle because it typically qualifies pretty well. Obviously, on race day, it has not had the success that, that they've wanted it to have. But now you're putting a former world champion on it. And Ellie, of course, was at the race in Houston. So he's been on a motorcycle this year. It's not like he's coming on into this thing cold after being gone for so many so many years. And ultimately, the motorcycle he's going to be on uh, has more modern and, and, frankly, better equipment than the one he was on earlier. So, uh, you know, Tonglet on this motorcycle may be a little bit of a wild card. I'm not sure it can go the distance, but with him on top of it, if he can qualify a top half, he could go some rounds. Yeah, Brian. Let me just go back and credit Andrew Hines. Also, I saw I saw Matt at Kroger, so that's why I was thinking of Matt Hines. But um, I agree. I mean, Le and Le is a good example when we talk about other drivers. And you know, if you do some driver shuffling in top fuel and put, let's say, we play this game and put this driver in that car, there's a there's a car right now that's out of the top ten that would be easily be not just in the top five, but maybe third or fourth. Yeah. That's how much of a difference that a rider, a driver can make on a bike. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, time will tell. And um, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to we're going to be watching that because, uh, you know, I think I don't think anyone's going to argue that L.E. Is, is just one of the premier riders out there. Uh, his technique, the mechanics, his ability to feel the machine, um, you know, his ability, ability to, to control it. And, uh, and get off the line and all these things. And, hey, we'll see how good that bike is. And I think that's something that, you know, even not long ago, um, uh, and it may have been a, a logistical benefit, but Antron uh, tested the Mike Salinas car. Mike was uh, out of town. They test, of course, down the street at IRP. And, um, you know, all of that, all of that input, all of that feedback helps. So I think for that team, they're going to be able to get a different rider on that bike and, and uh, you know, be able to see if there was any performance benefit. And if we move to Pro Stock Car, you know, the one glaring story that we have to talk about is is what Erica Enders has done so far this year. She has won four of the six available races that Pro Stock has won at. She's won three in a row. And, I mean, this – she is on a – right now, she is performing mechanically and in the seat on a different level than everybody else. And it's and it's a measurable – she has a hundred and – she has a hundred and eight-point lead after after five races. Yeah, you know what's amazing, Brian, is you know if you if you if you're wondering where Greg Anderson is, and you know I think the world to Greg and what he's accomplished, uh, he's got more left in him. But for crying out loud, you know he's gotten beat. I think in six races, at least three or four whole shots, and really the performance in in um, in Epping that was that was pretty amazing i mean she had run that 651 yeah. and that appeared to be untouchable and she's racing greg anderson now what's greg going to do i mean we can try to get a couple hundredths of a second on erica when she's fired up and they, they have this rivalry going but he turned the tables the problem was he still lost he got beat on a hole shot so you know it's either it's it's 
you know, kill or be killed. I, I, I don't like to use that term, but, you know, competitively, that's how, that's how competitors think. That's how boxers think. That's how racers think. And, you know, I think, um, you know, you really have to improve what you're doing on the starting line. Greg knows that. Uh, I think Kyle Koretsky has had a great car. I think there's some room for improvement for him. I think there's some races that could have easily gone the other way. Uh, Aaron Stanfield appears to be pretty solid. It's just the car doesn't, it's just not as consistent as, as I think they need to be. And so she's going to walk on him. She's going to walk on him all day long. If it, it, Not if, she's going to do it on the starting line. She seems to have the best car, the most consistent car, maybe with the exception of Greg Anderson. But there's the difference. You have a car, you have a driver, you have a team. You have those three components, and all three of them are clicking. I say good luck to the rest of you. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen people rise up. Obviously, Dallas Glenn, you know, won Gainesville. Uh, we saw Stanfield get one earlier in the year, to your point. And, you know, when you think about it, when we look at the numbers, Stanfield has appeared in 17 rounds of competition this year. Erica has appeared in 18. It, and it's it's a one-round difference in appearances. But the, the problem for Stanfield is that she just keeps winning these damn races, you know. And, and when they race, even when they race head-to-head like they did in Epping, uh, she was able to pull it out there. Um, I talked to Bo Butner actually after the Epping race, and he told me that they're uh, like the shock package and stuff. And Erica's car was actually going to be bolted into his car in Bristol. And I think that's an interesting scenario within the elite motorsports camp as far as uh, obviously there are people looking at that car going, okay, like what's the major difference here? And, you know, the horsepower side of it, I, I feel like is pretty even. I think when those guys send their, their six, eight, ten engines to a race, I feel like they're probably all within a couple of numbers because, frankly, when they build these pro stock engines, they are built to the exact same spec. Each engine is built the exact same way. They dyno them and they come out, you know, almost as cookie cutter versions of each other. But the rest of the program, I think, is where Erica's team seems to have a handle over everybody else, whether it's the shock package or chassis tuning. They definitely have an edge. And, and that 651 as you mentioned in Epping, was a jaw-dropping run because it wasn't even just the fact that it was quicker than than anybody else had gone that far. She was outpacing her fellow elite teammates by a wide margin. Right. I think that's interesting you bring that up about Bo. I'm glad you brought him up. Bo's a great guy. He's not a good driver. He's a great driver because Bo, to me, is one of those drivers that was part of a, a multi-car team uh, like myself, and he beat the dealer. You know, he beat the guy that he was racing <laughs> right. for. So, I mean, I think the world of a guy that can do that because I've been there, done that. It's not an easy thing to do because you have to deal with your competitor, your, your, your owner, your tuner, however, it, whatever the scenario for him. But, but, but I can, I can understand, I can relate. And, and then you have, and then you have to deal with the politics internally of it. So, so what Bo Butner did years ago when he, when he drove one of the KB cars, um, you know, he, had, he was competing with Greg Anderson and Jason Lyon, and he won a championship. So we're talking about, about a very accomplished driver that wins in almost every type of sportsman car yeah. that he gets in. Then I got news for whoever thinks that sponsors are not paying attention. Oh, boy, are they? Yeah. You guys, I got news for you. I've been there. I've done that, too. Don't underestimate sponsors, especially when you're standing – on the starting line. So don't be critical of what we say in the booth, Brian, what you say, what I say, Bruno, uh, Jamie, Amanda, we're, we're just stating the facts. I look at a screen, you look at a screen, we see where they're at in points. We have spreadsheets. We have all the, 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 every run, every incremental, every top speed, every reaction time. And guys, it's right there in front of us. Black okay, and white. Butler, you know, you've got Erica, Aaron, Troy Coughlin Jr., Jegs, an icon in the sport, the name, and Bo Butner, and 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 they've got to do something. So that's, I mean, that'll be interesting. I'll be keeping an eye on that. I, I'd love to see Bo Butner have the same kind of car that Erica has. And, hey, I'm not knocking them. Right. This is a tough sport. I get it. I've been there uh, on top, uh, in purgatory, on the bottom. It's a very, very hard sport. I drove for a multi-car team. As much as we tried to duplicate one car to the next, it doesn't work. Uh, drivers have their own personalities, their 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 uh, idiosyncrasies, their their the little subtle things that they do, and all of that seems to make a difference. So um, I just think it'd be great to see Bo have a car underneath him. Let's talk about funny car, and you know what is shaping up to me. If this continues the way it's gone with with Hagen and Height, this will go down in history as one of the great 
you know, funny car, two-man battles. Now, I don't know if it can sustain itself for the long haul. Obviously, I think both of these guys will be championship contenders, but, you know, when we look at the final round appearances, I mean, these guys, it's like week after week, you can almost rubber stamp them into a final. I agree. I think, I mean, it really is such a classic matchup because of the amount of championships that they've both won. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I think, I think Robert's been driving for a few years more than Matt, but you know, these guys have been competing against one another for a long time and, uh, they've always been pretty much in the same conversation. One can really separate himself from the other, at least for one year. Um, but it's going to be great to see, uh, you know, you have Tony Stewart, uh, you know, he's a very accomplished, you know, team owner. And, and I think what he's done, you know, and it, it, you don't think that, well, so what does the culture mean? What, what does that mean when you just change the, the owner and the guy that's signing the check? Well, you know, if you walk into some of the pits of some of these professional teams, there's, there's a certain feel that you get, you know, sometimes you're welcome, but it really is a completely different feel. And I'm not, Hey, Don Schumacher, I think the world of him, he just runs his business differently. Uh, he's a different, uh, it's like an NFL team owner. You, you know, you've got two Super Bowl winning teams. You've just got one guy that, you know, that um, uh, like Al Davis, you know, used yeah. to be with the Raiders that is very hands-on. Maybe Jerry Jones uh, wins games, wins races, but it, you know, it's just a different feel. Um, but whatever whatever it is, it's, it seems to be working for Matt. I think it's just the strength of the the tuner driver in the team. You know, I, I walk in that pit and I see all these very experienced crew members. You guys just don't make that, that many mistakes. And you can say the same about Robert. But I think the real interesting thing, Brian, is is art. Is anyone else coming to the party? I really yeah. thought it would be Caps. I still think it's going to be. I think there's a lot of potential. I think um, I think they've underachieved. They, they've shown some flashes, um, and it really makes you wonder. You know, Lexus has stumbled, and you know, Caps had instant success when they put that body on. I don't think it's the body, but I I do think that it changes the ballast or the balance of the car yeah. a little bit. So a lot of the data, a lot of the go-to information in their run book and their database that they go to when they have uh, said conditions. I, I think some, a slight some something slightly changed because of the ballast or the balance of the body. I, I, I have to think that's part of it. But, you know, force is pretty strong. You know, Cruz, I think, is is I think he's going to have a breakout race anytime. And I think Tasca. I mean, I really think that Bob has a good car. Uh, I think they've taken their lumps. When you look at J.R., Alexis and even Tim Wilkerson, Tim can run with anyone, but he just can't seem to do it consistently but Tasca can he did a couple years ago when he won Bristol he went the next race and won Norwalk and I I'm not going to be as as surprised to see a guy like that jump up and 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 create a little interference for Hagen and Height. yeah and I think the other point I think is important on the Hagen thing is like we're seeing this guy kind of unleashed to a certain degree you know the the level of fun that those guys are having and and you know how this goes like when you watch it when you watch a sports team in any genre of sports and they're winning and they're having fun they become magnetic to pay attention to people people pay attention to them this mustache thing is taking on a life of its own the they're going to be giving away you know they're going to be giving away fake mustaches in the pit area at bristol and they got this whole mustache mania campaign going on and this is the type of thing that in my opinion this sport has lacked for a long time you know it's like in any other sport you go mlb game some some relief pitcher has a weird haircut people start showing up to the stadium with a weird haircut the guy's got a crazy beard people start putting on fake beards you know to me this is the type of stuff that builds a fan base and hagan you know hagan has all the pieces to be a legitimate kind of crossover rock star out of drag racing the guy is physically imposing you know obviously a good looking guy he's got he's got this kind of magnetic personality to him and and the fact that they're kind of letting that run is is to me a great thing I agree with all those things, Brian. But, you know, I think as a driver for Matt, when I look at him, I look at at his ability, his talent, what he's doing. He's in a nice little groove. And this is the beauty of a crew chief not telling you what you can and cannot do. Yeah. You don't have an owner that's telling you what you can and cannot do. These guys trust their driver. He's he's earned the respect of them. And this is a guy that can do whatever he wants to do in the car. And I'm talking about staging again. And it just gives the driver that kind of freedom to do whatever the hell he wants. And some of these tuners that are telling their drivers, do this, don't do that. Hey, let's worry about, let's get lane choice. When really, 
lane choice really it doesn't matter like it did 20 years ago before the technology improved and all the track prep it really doesn't matter but the egos intervene and some of these tuners tell their drivers oh shallow state we want lane choice and and that's in the driver's head and if that driver's just looking for that that little comfort zone or just that extra inch or two or, or seven whatever it is however they however the hell they want to drive I think I think it it creates a little animosity between the driver crew team. I can see it. I can see it. It exists today with yeah. some good teams. I don't like it. I'd love to intervene, but it, it, I, I just don't think that the tuners understand that. Hey guys, these drivers, you know, they're 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 at the helm. They're they're driving the ship, and I just when I think about Matt Hagen and Robert, I think the same can be yeah. said about Rob. Absolutely. I think Robert is a little more disciplined in that uh, I think he drives a certain way and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't feel that he has to deep stage too much. Maybe in the final round they all do. Um, but, you know, hey, everybody has their little rhythm and groove. And I think right now Matt Hagen is he's still the guy to beat, even though Robert's going to be right there. You mentioned rhythm and groove. And, and as we head into Bristol, um, we have to talk about Mike Salinas being a bit of a, in a rhythm. He's not necessarily in the groove because the car spends a lot of time outside of the groove, but he is in a groove as far as winning goes. And in Bristol, every time this guy is raced at Bristol, he made the final and lost in 2018. Uh, he won in 2019. We didn't race there in 20, and he won in 21. So we're going back in there again, and he's coming off a win in Epping. So this is a guy that this is a guy that right now is uh, is a handful of points out of first place and top fuel. Yeah, Brian, I listened in to uh, the media, um, the press, uh, when they got involved. You guys did that yeah. Skype, and, and I know that that's when Angel came on and Mike. And uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree on a few things um, because I do call out BS. Okay, and I I don't buy the fact that they changed the tune-up. Now, you can't change the blower overdrive or the compression and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we have we had this different crew chief and we went in there and changed the tune-up. No, this is Alan Johnson's tune-up that's in that car. But what, I, I, what I'm seeing is that they got a crew chief that has enough experience that, by the way, has been with a lot of other teams and didn't have this kind of success. Yes. So this isn't a coincidence that he was given this book it's like this book opened up and there was this glow like the like the briefcase from, from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but Rob Flynn is good enough. He's good enough. He's got enough experience. He's been around these cars long enough that he's looking at this book and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not I don't think like Alan Johnson. I don't think I, I have to run um, a few hundreds quicker. I think I, if I can run with them, I've got a driver that's made some improvements and these guys are winning. And, and you know, I think I think part of it is chemistry. Mike has done his job on the starting line. He still needs to, and I, I read about it. I hear about it. Um, he's he's got to he's got to contain the the car control. We see it. We know it. Uh, one of the other things I, I I remember him winning Bristol a couple of times, but I also remember him driving all over the track. There's not going to be a big bump there. It shouldn't upset the car as much. Um, I know he's been working on it. I don't know if it's anything with the car, but um, you know, if it is, some of the straight runs that it makes. We've I've talked about this plenty. Um, I think Mike is doing an amazing job, and as long as they're managing to win races, as long as those other guys are floundering, and I don't think Steve Torrance is gonna. I, I think they're gonna find their range with that. With that. Um, I guess new setup, if you will. At least that's what they're saying. A new comp. Now there might be a new combination yeah. there. Yeah. If they're changing parts and fuel systems, and I don't know if it's camshafts, but but it 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 looks and it sounds like they've made some pretty good changes, all in the effort to run quicker. But I don't think that's the case for Mike Salinas. I think that um, that Rob Flynn inherited a pretty nice little tune-up. I think he's good enough to race that car. He's smart enough. And he's got a personality that'll get that car down the racetrack, and that is what has made that car so dangerous. Yeah, and it continues to be, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens this weekend. Obviously, uh, you know, Brittany's, I'm sure, feeling a little bit of the pressure from Mike now that he's pulled in so close. Um, uh, regarding the new tune-up and the new approach, you know, kind of stuff going on, we get a look at the Coletta cars, and, you know, we saw Sean Langdon go to a semifinal in Epping. Uh, we've seen Doug Coletta now basically three straight races going to the second round. Is this progress, granted slow progress, but is this progress? 
it's progress. I think it's great progress. I, I, I was surprised that that they pulled the tire off right on the starting line against against their teammate uh, in Epping. We're talking about Doug Coletta, um, but you know, like it's like Steve Torrance. You know, these cars sometimes they're on the edge. I, I don't know really the. I'm hearing, you know, these these stories about clutch discs, but you know, I've got to think these bigger teams they have an inventory. I, I don't know that. I think it's the level of power. It's the overall combination. You know, one of the things that we talked about was the weight differential uh, between between uh, Doug and Mike Salinas. You know, so Allen wasn't really able to go and duplicate what he did to the Salinas car because he got a driver that's considerably heavier. And and even though he did move, you know, the driver compartment and I'm sure the balance or ballast of other things, um, he's just got to find his range. I mean, I can't wait for them to hit their stride and line up against Mike Salinas because you can't tell me that, that oh, yeah. there's going to be a little bit of going on. And I want the camera, I want the camera to pan in. I want to see the look <laughs> on Alan Johnson's face because I think he's got something. I think he's got something in store for him. But you know, hey, that's just one of the great things. I think there's a great backstory there, and you know, Salinas is hitting their licks. But uh, I think that I think that drivers like you know Austin Proc, I think they're still finding their way. I, you can't discount, you know, Ron Tobler and and the and the you know what he has at his fingertips. I, I just think he's such a good racer that you know if they can contain the parts damage, uh, I, I think you know him and even you know Justin Ashley, the good drivers. You know, Brit, Brittany Force is still going to be there. She's going to be there all year long. But you know, when you talk about drivers that are are in a range of you know old forty lights, you know, give or take maybe old fifty. And drivers that are that a, a 060 light is is a good day for them. You're still talking about two three hundred to the second. Yeah, you know. So um, I think the top fuel field is still loaded. I think there's plenty of cars, plenty of good drivers. Antron Brown, and when Antron does find that rhythm, I keep waiting for it every weekend. It doesn't happen. But like I said earlier, Brian, this is not an easy sport. And you know, I know that we call things in the boot because we see it. And, and it's, you know, it's not like they're making laps and, you know, they're, they've got this one minute lap around the track. I mean, it's, it's less than four seconds, hopefully. And, you know, when things don't go right for these drivers and when things don't go right for these cars, you know, it's right there in front of us and we have to say it, we have to point it out. And, you know, this is big time racing. So we kind of like to think that we can produce some big time TV and, you know, sometimes it's it might seem a little critical for the teams and for the drivers. It's by no means an easy sport. It's very hard. And um, I, I just, you know, when I look at drivers and teams like Antron, um, you know, Josh Hart, they've, they've been hurting parts. I mean, I, I know I feel the pain, but um, I think when they get it, it's, it's just going to be good. It's going to be good for the show. It's going to be good for the fans. Is it possible, in your estimation, like as we get down this back half stretch of the of the regular season, we talked about this in the preseason, this is the time of the year where the teams that are underperforming are going to start really feeling the pinch, whether it's Antron, whether it's Leah, whether it's Tony Schumacher. Is it possible that there would be any sort of a crew chief trade swap anything this late in the year? Because at some point, don't these teams have to look around and something's got to give? And, it may, and I'm not saying any of these people are bad crew chiefs, but we've seen it happen in every other sport where a coach gets traded, a coach gets traded to a team, and all of a sudden the team comes to life and things kind of come together. Not necessarily only those three teams, but is it possible that somebody makes a change this late in the year? Well, I won't mention any names out of respect, um, but I think so. I, I've thought so for a while. Um, you know, I, I get it. I understand the, you know, the friendship. Uh, you know, you've been around these people for a long time. But, you know, when it's all said and done, and I'll go back to, to sponsors – you know, it's funny, you build uh, relationships and you become friends, at least you think, with, with some of the sponsors. And one day you get a call and it's like, hey, what's, you know, what's going on? And it's like, wow, these guys are, I didn't think they were paying attention. I think, I thought that, you know, I was doing my job with the appearances and all the, yeah. you know, the PR. No, they still, they expect it. They, they invest a lot of money. Their bottom line is, you know, our, our promotion, social media, all that stuff matters. But, you know, when it's all said and done, they want to be associated with winners. That's why they're there. So they have these, you know, these expectations. And I don't know if any of the team owners are feeling any of those pressures. But, you know, you have to you have to consider that, you know, professional teams do it all the time. 
you know, and in our sport, uh, somehow, for some strange reason that I don't understand, it's like this, everybody's hugging and kissing and kissing butt. And, you know, you really, I'm just surprised that more don't approach it as a business. Be professional, accept responsibility, responsibility, give it to us straight, because not just us, I mean, we're, we're talking about our audience. You know, they want to see, they want to hear the real thing. They don't want to be BS. And um, I, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these teams do make some changes because how long can you go? Can you go a few races? No problem. No problem. I mean, these things take time, but do they take three or four years that, you know, you've kind of been tanking? It makes you, makes you start to think. Yeah. And listen, I think the, the answer is, and, and it's something that I think um, it makes people uncomfortable when you and I talk about stuff like this, but it's been it's a little bit too comfortable and I think it's and I and I mean internally in in professional drag racing I think it's been that way for a while I think it's been that way for for reasons that go beyond the obvious I think it's been that way for a while because people have had the wagon circled and and they're being protective of of their people and and of the of of their community which I respect but you know, one of the things that you and I get heat about, and and we hear it on a week to week basis. In fact, we had a guy in our TV booth last weekend talking to us about it. Um, is is it, you know, it, and it doesn't it makes things uncomfortable for us too. But the reality is, for this sport to really grab the next gear and go to the next level, that level it needs to be uncomfortable to a degree, right? It can't just be if we're okay if we're okay with everything being comfortable and and things just kind of going along as they are we'll always be exactly what we are and, and it's not that we're bad but when we are accepting of the fact that it should be uncomfortable to a degree it should be uh, uh people should be held to standards or at least when we see stuff and we talk about stuff that makes people uncomfortable that's actually growth it, it actually makes things better as, as weird as it sounds. And it makes people sweat in the armpits a little bit, but that's how you, that's how we take this thing and, and kick it ahead down the road. So yeah, to your point, it, it would be a very interesting move. It would almost be a game changing move for one of these high level teams in the late season to make a crew chief change, especially because these three major teams we're talking about are, are among the highest profile teams we have, whether we're talking about Leah's team, whether we're talking about Antron's team, whether we're talking about Tony Schumacher's team, any sort of kind of high level change in, in any of those operations would make some big headlines. You see it every day in big time sports, Brian, it makes you wonder, you want to be big time? Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Hey, listen, it raises the stakes for everybody when that happens. It's very easy. It's very easy to be in a comfortable spot and say, hey, this is what we do. This is how we are. We have this many people paying attention to us. And you can exist in that space for a long time. And it's and it's being under a nice warm blanket. Um, But if you want to tear the blanket off and and you want to get you really want to get get busy with it. Um, it, it's it's going to get uncomfortable. I think that the pressures that we see maybe NASCAR crew chiefs and team owners under um, very different, I think, than what we see in drag racing. And listen, I, I'm not looking for anybody to lose their jobs. I'm looking for anybody to lose a ride or a car or anything of that sort. But at the end of the day, the the more the more serious that that this sport is taken, and the more serious uh, the kind of the moves are made, the more the more attention it's going to get. You're right, Brian, and it really comes down to, it's like, well, the, the team's performance. I mean, we're talking about things that, you know, some of these sponsors, whether the team owner knows it or not, I'm pretty sure they're they're starting to wonder. You know, I've been there, done that. I know some other teams. I rather, I know some other sponsors that have made those tough calls. I've been on, I've been in the hot seat where when I was at Quaker State, just before the recession, I had to make some tough decisions. And I remember, I sugarcoated it back when I was racing. And I wish I wouldn't have. I, I wish I would have been a little more genuine, but I thought I was just trying to protect, you know, my business and I didn't want to project the wrong image, but but it was all wrong. And that's why I'm saying that the right thing to do is just be up front. Um, and, and I just, I'll never forget uh, when, when Dickie Venables, I, I mean, he was then, he still is a championship winning crew chief. And I wasn't going to make any adjustments with him, yeah. but I said, Dickie, I, I've got to, I've got to cut some money. And um, and I've I've got to I've got to eliminate you know a position or two, and and uh, you know of course it changed after that. And Dickie left. He had another opportunity that, um, you know, it was a big compliment to me when he told me he should have stayed. You know, even with the changes. But you know that's a little scary for people for relationships. It's just it's a scary thing to go through because you become accustomed and somewhat complacent 
to having a relationship. But, you know, when it's all said and done, it's not about the relationship. Um, that should stay in place if, if it's good. It, this is, we, and, we, and nobody should ever forget that this is a business, and the business is racing. Absolutely. And I do, in my opinion, I feel as though the hug quotient in top fuel is going to start shrinking from this point forward. I think that I think the pressures of the amount of cars we got showing up, we got already 21 cars on the sheet right now for Norwalk, which means there's a better than average chance a high profile car is going to miss the field in Norwalk with 21 cars showing up. And when stuff like that starts happening, I feel like the um, the the uh, campfire kumbaya hugs start to start to evaporate at the top end. And I am I am I am awaiting that moment. <laughs> I agree, Brian. We talk about, hey, I, you know, I have friends out there, but, you know, when I'm in the booth, um, hey, there's no bias, you know, and, and thank goodness, you know, a couple of them don't really give me a lot to, you know, to criticize, uh, but I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, hey, by all means, uh, you know, yeah. we're just, I think you and I both, uh, you know, hey, we want, it really should be what, what is interest in the best interest of the sport. And when, when I'm in the booth, it's, 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 Never was, nor will it ever be about me. You know, I just want to go yeah. and I want to do my job. Hey, I'll take my lumps. I'll take the criticism. Uh, I get, I get, um, uh, you know, the the message on my Facebook as if my Facebook page <laughs> is a uh, is a platform to bash me, and and I do reply to a few of them, and I've challenged many of them. It's like let's have this conversation, but but I don't want to do it privately because I don't have that kind of time. But you know, let's make it interesting. Let let's yeah. let's use nhra.com. Uh, as a platform and let's have a conversation but you know let's keep the, the foul language out of it and no one's taking me up on that yet it's it's odd so um you know again it's about the sport and i i just i'll never forget when i i had my team i always thought about that i was a member of pro i remember sitting in those meetings with you know with al hoffman the guy that that you know was on a shoestring budget and there was kenny bernstein and there was all these other guys that had the big sponsors and the money and i was never I was never one of them, um, and, nor was I really the guy in the bottom. I was somewhere in between, but I always thought um, that that we should make a lot of these decisions based on not necessarily what is best for the crew chief, what is the safest, yes, because that's what this board is built on and made up of, but, but um, more decisions should be based on what is best for the sport, for the long-term growth, the safest, the best thing for the sport, so we can we can um, display that on our shows. Amen, man. Looking forward to seeing you in Bristol this weekend. Um, you know, the, this back to back has been a long time coming. We've had a you know we've had races and then weeks off, but I'm loving the back to back. We're really going to see going to see people move and shake here one way or the other in the next couple of weeks. So, Tony, thank you very much. Safe travels to the wonderful uh, Tennessee area, and I will see you on Thursday. Brian, it's going to be hot. I have one last question for you. When yes. it gets really hot, are you going to bust out like in a tank top or something? Listen, Tony, I have uh, multiple <laughs> options to go in that direction. I have some very, <laughs> I, have, I have some very, some very good wicking material that pulls that, <laughs> pulls all that <laughs> juice away. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see you in Thunder Valley. I'm bringing John Kernan with me. Always good to talk to Tony Pedragon. Good to know he'll be carpooling with Kernan down to the race. John will be working as part of the announcing staff with Alan Reinhardt and Joe Costello at the Thunder Valley Nationals. Look forward to seeing you Friday night qualifying live at 8 p.m. We have qualifying coverage all weekend long. And then, of course, our eliminations coverage on the Fox Broadcast Network. Same place you watch The Simpsons. You watch Family Guy. You watch the NFL. That's where we'll be this weekend at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday bringing it to you from the big show bristol tennessee the thunder valley nationals will be spectacular we'll be back next week to recap the thunder valley nationals and look forward to the summit racing equipment nationals coming at summit racing equipment motorsports park in norwalk ohio back-to-back events at two of the coolest drag strips on earth what's better than that thanks for listening we'll be back again next week with another episode of the nhra insider podcast looking inside the world of nhra camping world lucas oil pro modified and other drag racing series 